Welcome to the Hiraith Magazine Podcast. I'm Sarah Bringhurst Familia, coming to you from Amsterdam. Hiraith is a Welsh word meaning nostalgia for a home that no longer exists or never was. On the podcast, we explore the question, what is home? Whether we move for love, work, refuge, or adventure, many of us are trying to make ourselves at home far away from the place where we were born. So join us on this journey as we travel around the world in search of home. For this episode, I have a little bit of a different take on the coronavirus pandemic. My guest, Anna Martins, is in current treatment for cancer. She talks about what it's like to be what she calls a full-time cancer patient during a pandemic, the things she's learned along the way, and how important it is to keep the vulnerable among us safe during these times. I am here with Anna, who is a fellow Amsterdammer, but we are recording this from our respective homes, so we can say that all of us here, including probably you, dear listener, are virtually together in our living rooms. So welcome, Anna. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So to start off, why don't you tell me a little bit about where you're from and your family background and where you lived growing up? Yeah. I was born and raised in Portugal, and my family is Portuguese. However, my parents were born and met each other and got married in Mozambique, which at the time was a colony of Portugal. Um, So yeah, I was raised in Portugal, and I've lived there until 2012, and that's when I moved to Amsterdam. Okay, so an interesting kind of a family history of moving around then. So you moved here to what I like to call the big village of Amsterdam, all by yourself, and that can sometimes be a little bit of an isolating experience. Did you feel that when you moved, and what did you maybe do to create a sense of family or community in your adopted city? Funnily enough, I didn't feel isolated here, and I didn't feel alone, but that was because I was yearning for a home. Uh, While I was living in Portugal, I never fully felt that I was home. So I guess when I took the decision to move to Amsterdam, I was hoping that I would find one. I just didn't expect to find a home immediately. I thought I would have to travel to more places until eventually I'd find a city or a country in which I would feel at ease and uh, which culture of which culture would speak to me in a deeper on a deeper level and this surprisingly really uh, worked for me 
you know, the Amsterdam experience really worked for me. Um, so when I arrived here, I was really enthusiastic to be immersing myself in a new culture. And I was extremely motivated to find a job, to make friends, and to build my life from scratch. Um, I felt a bit... Hmm, I never fully felt rooted in Portugal. And that's probably because my parents... Um, never felt really home in, in, in the country. I grew up with stories about faraway lands, about more tropical landscapes, and it was as if they had lived in a sort of El Dorado that was so different from the Portugal that they found in 1975 when they went back. And it's kind of funny because this going back is, um, yeah, it, it's a bit different from what other people, other people's notions of returning. Because my mother had been in Portugal just once when she was a child. She's, she was not even born there. So basically, the idea of home for her was totally lost. So the hire for her was real because there, there was a place in which she was born and raised that didn't exist, ceased to exist at some point, to which she could literally never return to. And on top of that, it's this like very unfortunate thing of this very unfortunate realization that you have been living in a way in a lie because that country did not belong to you in the first place, if you know what I mean. So that helps explain why I was so ready to embrace a new reality. Wow, I love that story. It's it's so multi-generational and it I think it shows how even our longings and these other things that are very uh, subtle parts of culture can also be passed down. So uh, you've been in Amsterdam, I would say, long enough to really become a local. So in fact, you even keep this great blog, Amsterdive, where you talk about cultural events, but also just these lovely, vulnerable posts about life in the city. So I'd like to know what are a few of your favorite things about Amsterdam? My very favorite thing about Amsterdam is how down to earth Amsterdamers are and how relaxed the way of life is over here. Um, people truly live by the motto, live and let live. So personal freedom is extremely important in this city. Um, and so that really speaks to me. Uh, also not living in a society that is very 
visibly um, hierarchical. So, of course, there is a hierarchy, but people in the Netherlands, people who show off wealth, uh, they are really frowned upon. And that is a stark contrast with where I come from. So here I feel like you, people evaluate you based on your personality, on your skills, on your talents, rather than your circles of influence or your family name. So in that sense, I felt rather quickly that I could become a self-made woman in Amsterdam. And I, I guess this is a really long answer to what you asked. But long answers are the best answers because we're really trying to get at the heart of kind of the feeling of home. Mm -hmm. So, so would you say then that Amsterdam feels like home to you? Definitely. It definitely feels like home to me. In fact, uh, in a certain sense, it was my first home. I did feel at home in Lisbon, though, while I lived there. But there was always a feeling of uncertainty. That if something happened to me, I would be lost in a way. Um, so for me, the idea of home is always directly related to a feeling of safety. Um, that I can express my own individuality and that that will be respected uh, and valued. That I will not be bullied on the one hand. Uh, that I will be accepted and valued as a capable member of society with what I have to offer. But also that if anything goes wrong, that the government will be there to help and support me get through the hard times um, in order, and, and give me time to recover and get back on my feet. Uh, and that's exactly the situation that's going on right now in my life as a cancer patient. Right. So let's talk about that, actually. Um, last year, you, the young, vibrant yoga enthusiast, were diagnosed with cancer. So can you talk about how that diagnosis changed maybe not only your daily life, but also your outlook? Yeah. So last summer, my life was canceled as I knew it. So I got this diagnose out of the blue, breast cancer. And from then, from that moment on, my life completely changed. So I almost completely stopped working. Previously, I had been working freelance as a content creator, a blogger, and a social media wizard. Um, and then I did a few assignments here and there, but 
I became a full-time cancer patient. And I really started to go back to what's more essential in life, in a way. So I was stripped down from almost everything I thought I needed. So I really thought that in order to work, I needed to be out of the house. I needed to be in a cafe. I needed to be drinking coffee, otherwise I couldn't focus. So many things that were just at a certain point impossible. So my stomach couldn't handle coffee anymore. So there was not an option. And on top of it all, uh, my attention was very scattered. It was very difficult to focus. I was tired all the time. I didn't have energy. So that made me naturally start to prioritize what was more important in my life and the people who were the most essential for my well-being. And in a way, it is as if I have been preparing for this pandemic since then, which is very ironic. Um, there has been definitely, there have been definitely a lot of very illuminated moments throughout this whole phase. I feel like I had, I truly had the opportunity to come back to myself and to strip my life of the noise. So as an extrovert, I guess I could consider myself an, an extrovert. I was always distracted by the outside world, and especially because I write about it. I write about the city, the, the culture, um, cultural events, um, and the life around me, and I was very hourly focused. But that was not necessarily good for me. And I realized that I do thrive more out of confinement and seclusion. And that I do need more stillness in my life. And that's been a very helpful realization. Even for my own, for the sake of my own mental health. Because I, I do suffer a lot from anxiety. And I do think, in a way, anxiety is the malady of the century. I hear everyone talking about it now. All my fellow colleagues, freelancers, CD people... Yeah, I think you are right. And I'm so struck by you saying that your life was canceled last year because I think, and that prepared you for the pandemic because I've heard people express similar sentiments, but I mean, that's whole next level being diagnosed with cancer. Um, so smack in the middle of what must have already been a really exhausting series of chemotherapy treatments, along comes this global pandemic. And I know that many medical services have been canceled or postponed to make room for coronavirus treatment. So for you personally, has, had, has this had any impact on how you receive care? 
Luckily, the pandemic didn't affect any of my treatments up until now. Uh, I'm also being treated at the Anthony van Leeuwenhoek Hospital. And this is a hospital that is considered uh, what they call a clean area. So they don't deal with, with coronavirus patients. And they are trying to keep the area as clear of those of those maladies possible of course because they're dealing with very vulnerable patients and no and i also asked my uh, doctor if they have been dealing with a lot of uh, problems regarding postponing appointments and etc and they say that it's been going smoothly as much as that's possible well, that is wonderful to hear. I'm glad that that is the case for you. So uh, coronavirus is especially dangerous for the elderly, but also, as you mentioned, for people in what they call vulnerable groups. So can you explain a little bit how your cancer puts you at heightened risk? Yeah, so my immunity is considerably lower than uh, regular healthy people. And I really can't, can't take risks. I do sometimes because I am a bit reckless. However, I should not. But in my own defense, I must say that I always wear a mask if I enter a shop or even busy areas outside. So that's, that is really important to me. But yeah, my, I think my body would, would have great difficulties in dealing with such a heavy health condition as the, the COVID-19. So we, we cannot take that risk. And that, of course, that's a source of big stress, and especially because people in Amsterdam don't seem very worried to take social distancing, at least the ones who are outside. Of course, there's a lot of people who comply with the guidelines and who stay home, but the ones you see on the street, they don't seem to be very worried about keeping one, one and a half meter distance from others. And also streets over here are, are very narrow, so it's virtually impossible in some neighborhoods to keep the distance. That's also another reason for me to wear the mask. And yeah, it's a bit stressful, so I really do have to put my mindfulness exercises to, to practice, I guess, to use. So uh, that being the case, you probably were taking cautions before the pandemic, but how has your daily life been affected over and above that as a result of the pandemic? So at first, I stopped going outside for, for the yoga studio, for yoga classes, 
or for coffees at the coffee place in my neighborhood. I really like going outside. So I, I even while sick, I always tried to attend yoga classes, go to the cafe, meet a few friends here and there. But that's, that's had to stop. Uh, and in a way, I, I, did, I did try to use this time as an opportunity, to be honest. And that's essentially because the process of getting sick taught me in a very essential way that I should stop arguing with reality which is a notion that Katie Byron uh, talks a lot about. You know, if I am resisting what's going on in my life, it just makes everything more difficult. It doesn't take the hardship away, but not rebelling what's going on definitely brings about more peace. I love that way of looking at it. Uh, and I think that we could all use a little bit more of that outlook during this pandemic. I guess that me turning to this notion of not arguing with, with the reality was something I did from a survival instinct stance. Because while healthy, I could never do this, not in this way. You know, I, I was already used to giving up a lot. So this was just another thing. Of course, the first days were very heavy. And there are still things, there, there are a lot of moments in my daily life where I get really annoyed, you know, very stressed where I dislike people <laughs> just because they are on my way, you know? And sometimes you do resort to this uh, sense of, you know, victimizing yourself. It's like, oh, if, if only they knew what I'm going through, you know, I'm sick. What do they know about this? But you don't know what they are what they are going through. And sometimes some colleagues of mine remind me that they have kids, for instance. And sometimes they they their kid gets sick and they have to work and take care of the house and uh, homeschool them and take care of them all at the same time on the same uh, space. And that seems like heroic to me. You know, I'm, I, yes, it's true. I'm very sick, but I don't have a family that I have to take care of at this point. Yeah. So it's not, it's another thing that I learned from being sick is there is no hierarchy in suffering and just because I have to deal with this chronic illness, that doesn't mean other people are not having a hard, a very hard time too, in a very different way. 
Well, that's a very beautiful and generous outlook. Um, is there anything that you particularly would wish that people knew about what it's like to have cancer during a pandemic? I wish that people were aware of the importance of social distancing, of the importance of actually keeping safety distance on the streets, not taking over the streets, because if you are having wine with your family members outside of your house, in such narrow streets, that might mean that an old person or a chronic, chronically sick person will have to walk on the roads and be subject to dangers from, you know, bikers passing by or cars or, you know, it's a really huge source of, of stress. For us, the danger is real. Our bodies may not be prepared to deal with such a, you know, with, with such an attack of, of a virus of this sort. Uh, and I, I don't think people are aware of that. And at the same time, because so many of my friends tell me that I look great and objectively, yes, I still look what you would call pretty normal, people don't see it on my face that I have cancer. So they're like, yeah, what are you, what are you complaining about? I mean, you're, you're, you know, however, you don't see, you don't see on people's faces. I mean, I'm talking about cancer, but there's so many other uh, maladies and illnesses. A friend of mine suffers from asthma. And so that's also really complicated and you don't see it on people's faces. So it's not about yourself only. You may be very healthy and your body and you maybe be asymptomatic, but there's so many people who, like young people too, who will be in great danger if they get sick. Yeah, that's so important for us to remember that I liked what you said, you, you can't tell from someone's face what they're dealing with. So um, I wanted to, again, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and being willing to share this. And um, to wrap up on a little bit of a brighter note, I am very happy to congratulate you on having finished your chemotherapy treatment last week. That's very exciting. And I know you still have kind of a long road ahead of you with other treatments, um, but I just think it's amazing what you've done so far. And I wanted to ask, um, just as a final question, what will you carry with you from this journey? And what do you look forward to as you come out of, hopefully what will be the most difficult part of it? I look forward first and foremost to hugging my loved ones. <laughs> I do look forward to traveling to Portugal for sure. Of course, to see my family and some of my, my best friends who live there. And just to, you know, feel the, feel the smell of my country of birth. 
that's a really magical memory and to be next to the ocean. And I look forward to going back to life, to regular life in a more centered way with a, a more clear notion of what's essential for me and not to lose sight of this idea that my place is creating, is writing, and not get um, not entertain self-doubt, you know? When you reach rock bottom, you don't doubt, you just do whatever your inner truth tells you to, and you don't question it. And so, for me, it's very important to remain attuned to my inner truth, and that can only happen if I blank out the noise. You know, if I cancel the noise outside that tells me that, that imposes a timeline on me and that tells me that I have to be productive and that I have to do things a certain way and, by a cert and that at a certain age, I need to have reached and achieved a bunch of different things uh, that lead me to believe that those things are important. Let's say that by 30, I should be married, that by the age of 35, I should have two kids, and that I should be economically stable and have these great achievements to show work-wise. And life is just not like that. And it's very strange, I realize, that we are trying to match our timelines in, in a way that it's so... Um, so it, it becomes a burden. So I, I hope I will not forget this. I really want to take these lessons with me um, and to be more attuned to what's going on in my inner life rather than to what the outside world is telling me I should be doing and accomplishing. Well, I think that that would be good advice for all of us. And I really hope that it won't be too long before you're able to go back to all those wonderful things that you love. Um, thank you again so much for being with us and all good wishes for your continuing recovery. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, re I have really enjoyed this conversation. Anna and I recorded this interview several weeks ago. Since then, Protests for Black Lives Matter have gained ground around the world, including here in Amsterdam. I have been very moved to see that Anna has been going out to these protests wearing her mask. Despite her own vulnerability, she sees the vulnerability of others. 
Even though she is now in the middle of radiotherapy as the next step in her cancer treatment, she is out there showing up when it counts. She recently wrote a beautiful piece on her blog, Amsterdive, called What Surviving Cancer Taught Me About Racism. I'll put the link in her show notes, and I really encourage you to read it. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. And if you have a story you'd like to share, visit us on the web at hiraithmagazine.com. That's H-I-R-A-E-T-H magazine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or SoundCloud. The podcast is available to download on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you like the Hiraith podcast, you can help by sharing it with your friends. And if your podcast platform allows, leaving us a rating. This episode featured music by Maidan and was recorded and produced by me, Sarah Bringhurst Familia, on the canals of Amsterdam.